Father, thank you for those, uh, for those words, the reminder that we don't have to clean ourselves up, that we don't have to make ourselves good because we're not clean and there's nothing in ourselves that would be uh, commendable toward you in our, in our sinful flesh. We thank you that you take us as we are, conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. You bring us to yourself and you give us a whole new relationship with you. What a blessed thought. Thank you for the offerings that, uh, that your people have given. We pray that you would multiply it to do your will, to advance your kingdom in Canada and around the world. We're grateful for the word of God and pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you would, uh, you would enlighten us, that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would exhort us in, in wherever, our, wherever our, uh, we are in our relationship with you, that we would be changed as a result of coming into uh, coming into contact with the Holy God and with His Holy Word. We give you thanks for all these blessings as we pray and, and continue on in our worship uh, because of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So good morning. Uh, before we begin our, our message today, uh, Pastor Van had asked me to give a, sort of an update as to where our family is in our uh, journey to going to Nigeria. For those that do not know who I am and who our family is, uh, my name is Tom Jesseron and we are missionaries to Nigeria in West Africa. Uh, we've been around here now for a couple of years on our extended home assignment and Lord willing, we plan to return to Nigeria at the end of August. And Pastor Van had asked me to give an update of where we are in, our, uh, in making that, that timeline possible. Uh, so I would like to give a couple of other prayer requests. You heard some prayer requests from Nathan. You heard some prayer requests from, from Abby uh, and some financial needs there. And I, don't, I do not mean to inundate you with it, but there are a couple of prayer requests that I would ask you to consider uh, in order to help us move on our way toward Nigeria. The first is that the Nigerian government has not been granting our visas yet to return. Not just us. It's nothing against us. They don't have anything against our family. There, there's a whole group of missionaries whose visas are, are not being renewed. So we're in that, we're in that category, uh, and we're praying that the Lord will change the hearts of those that make those decisions so that we would be able to uh, go to the country legally. Not that we'll go there illegally. Uh, so we're waiting to go there legally uh, to, to enter into the country in August. The second prayer request is that we're moving forward even though right now our support is not uh, where it needs to be. We have financial needs. It's, it's like a, a common theme, isn't it? Every time someone comes up, there's a financial need. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, like, one of these years, no Christian organization, no, no minister, nobody ever needed a financial need, and people could come up and say, you know what, don't give. Everything's all taken care of. Uh, but unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. That's not how the, the Lord is working in his church. Um, so we are also asking for prayer. And maybe some of you will be able to, uh, to fulfill that prayer. We're looking for 70 people to contribute $20 per month for the time that we're in Nigeria. Or 20 people to contribute $70 per month. Or one person to contribute $1,400 a month. That would be great, too. Uh, however the math works, that's what we're, we're looking for the Lord to provide. And maybe he's touching some of your hearts now to maybe be a person that can meet that need. And at the very least, I ask that you would pray for that, uh, that others uh, that, that are 
interested in investing in the work that the Lord is doing in Nigeria through us would be touched and make that a possibility. So please remember those two prayers for our visas to be granted and for our financial support to be where it needs to be uh, by, well, it would have to be by next month when we buy our plane tickets. So thanks for that. Uh, Again, we don't mean to keep belaboring the issue of finances, but it is a, a reality. Well, for our our message this morning, we're going to be looking at a few of the Psalms together, Psalms 142 to 145, titled Climbing Songs. And if you want to get a more uh, general idea of what these are all about, we can call this Help Me Out of the Pit. Now, no matter where we are in the world, and we serve in Nigeria, we're all made of the same cookie dough as as people. So when when we talk to those uh, here at church, we say, how's the day? How are you doing? We say, fine, great, couldn't be better. Uh, in Nigeria, there's a long list of greetings. When you say, how's it going? The, you know, the word for fine in house is lafia. Everything's lafia. It sounds like laughing, doesn't it? You know, how, how's the work? Lafia. How's your family? Lafia. How's your chickens? Lafia. You know, everything's great. But really, if you were to scratch below the surface, things may not be so great. In Nigeria, the person that I'm greeting may have lost their job. They have no money to send their children to school. They have no money to buy food with to eat. Their chickens may have died, and their house may have been damaged by the rains. And yet, when you ask how things are, everything's fine. Everything's great. We do that too, don't we? When we we say, how's it going? Oh, great. Couldn't be better. Scratch below the surface a little bit, and things are very, very rough. We're all liars, aren't we? Yeah, because all of us, you scratch a little bit below the surface and things aren't really all that great. Sometimes we do spend time in the pits. We spend time in the dumps. I don't know, a picture's worth a thousand words and this little guy up here, if we, if we were to really pull the mask off, this is how some of us feel. We could, we could put on a good, a good show, smile and, and greet, but really, in our heart of hearts, we're like, we're like schlumpy there. We're kind of like bent over on the inside. Well, I have a couple questions to ask, and and if you could answer yes to any of these questions, this message should hit where uh, we need to hear an encouragement from God's Word. Have you ever felt any time down in the dumps? Have you ever felt hindered from experiencing abundant life in Christ? Have you ever felt embarrassed to admit that maybe you're a little bit depressed at times? Um, Have you ever felt abandoned by God, that you have a need and he just doesn't seem to be there or he seems to be silent? Now, don't raise your hand. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then I think we will be able to get some help from God's word. If you answer no to all those questions, I guess you're free to leave. But really, I'd like you to hang around so you can help the rest of us figure out how, how you were able to, to escape all of that in the Christian life. Well, our text today is going to be taken from Psalms 142 through 145. Not all of those Psalms, but they're going to be taken from uh, uh, several passages in those four Psalms. And the reason that we're taking them together is because they're all written by, all those Psalms, all those songs are written by the same person. They're written by David. They were not written at the same time, but when we read from the beginning of 142 through the end of Psalm 145, we'll see that they, they, the grouping is interesting. 
it does seem to tell a story. And the story is that of climbing. Because in Psalm 142, David starts off in the pit. But by the end of Psalm 145, he ends up on the mountain. And I think that's where we would like to be as God's people, isn't it? Even though we we may spend our time, and for some of us it might be a morning or a day or even a week in the pit. For some of us, it's been months that we just can't seem to get out of that, that, those dumps. We can't get out of that, those, that time of the blues. We really want to be on the mountain. We want to be experiencing that abundant life, that joy in Christ that's promised to us. And for some of us, we just can't get the traction. So that's why our message today is called Climbing Songs, Climbing Out of the Pit to Climb Up to the Mountain. And the way we'll do that is to find some help out of the pit. The reason H-E-L-P is all in red because those words will show up throughout the message. We want to be honest about our feelings. We want to examine what our focus is. We want to list God's achievements. And we want to practice intentional praise. So hopefully, if the Lord answers our prayer, by the end of this message, we'll find help to get out of the pit. Now, Psalms is a favorite book for a lot of people. Um, if I were to ask you to name a, name a favorite psalm, I bet Psalm 23 would be up there. Maybe some of you like 106 a couple of, or 136. and A couple of other ones show up. But let me give you a couple of suggestions when reading the psalms uh, before we go into this time together. One is remember that they are psalms. We don't use the word psalm very much unless we're talking about that, that book of the Bible. But psalms are songs. And as such, they're emotional And they're very poetic. For instance, when the psalmist says, my tears are my food. Well, I think we know that he's not eating his tears. It means what? He cries a lot. But which sounds better? I cry a lot or my tears are my food. I think the second one kind of gets the point, doesn't it? Another thing to remember is that when we read a psalm, it's an entire song and we should really read the whole psalm. Some of them are, are long, but it makes sense to read the entire song to see what the writer is trying to say. Some of us may know a verse or two from a few of the psalms, and that's really not so fair to understand what that song is about. Let me give you a, a, an example from one of our hymns that we sing. What if we only sang this phrase from, a, from one of the hymns? My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought. What if that's the only thing I sang? What I'm saying is, I really like my sin. But what hymn does that come from? You look at it in the context, my sin, oh the bliss of, the, of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, now it makes sense in context, doesn't it? And then we know that the, the, the title of that hymn, it is well with my soul. So when you read the Psalms, Kind of train yourself to read the whole thing, not just a a phrase from it. And also, like we'll do this morning, read several psalms in a row. Sometimes they do kind of go together. And like we'll find out this morning, they do tell a story. Now, David, the one who wrote these psalms, 142 to 145, is the author of about 70 of the psalms. And we know something of his life, shepherd boy who, uh, who eventually rose to be king of Israel, Uh, When David is writing this psalm, turn turn to Psalm 142, and in a number of your Bibles, 
when you get there. It'll say at the very beginning that this is a Psalm of David when he was in, a ca- in the cave. Now, what was David doing in a cave? I know you girls were camping this weekend. So David wasn't camping like, the, like you ladies were. He was in a cave because he was running from King Saul. Now, David went to work every day. His boss was King Saul, and King Saul was envious and jealous of David. If any of you think you have a bad boss, you never had a boss like David had. You may think your boss is the Antichrist. Really, nobody would have had someone like, like David uh, was, was working with. Because when Saul was angry at David, he wanted to take a spear and pin him to the wall. So David literally had to flee for his life. And as he's running, moving from cave to cave, place to place, running from Saul, he was starting to get weary. He was starting to get down in the dumps, as we're going to read here. And one of these days, as he's in a cave, running from Saul, that would be like us running from the combined forces of the FBI and the U.S. Army and trying to hide out from them and not get caught. As David is sitting in the cave, thinking about what the Lord promised him, you're going to be king, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to bless you, and yet looking around at his circumstances and saying, I'm sitting in a dirty, stinking cave. The king wants to end my life. And the people that I have around me aren't exactly the the cream of the crop. So... What's, what's going on with life? Where's the promise of God's favor? Where's the promise of his blessing? Why am I sitting in a stinking cave when God promised me I was going to be king of Israel? Maybe if we understand the background, we understand why he says some of what he says. So it's Psalm 142. David wrote this in the cave in the dumps. With my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my troubles before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. You look at some of the the words that David uses uh, to describe his situation. He says that he, he cries out to the Lord. He says that he has a complaint, that he has trouble, that his spirit faints. He has a a sense of terror everywhere he goes. He feels loneliness, helplessness, and abandonment in verse 4. He says he's brought very low, low, and his soul feels like it's in prison. It's not a very inspiring psalm, is it? But it really is honest. Psalm 142, verses 1 through 7, and the next few that we'll look in Psalm 143, shows us that it's okay to be honest about our feelings before the Lord. We can't, if we just say, everything's fine, God, thank you for all that you've done for me, when we're really looking around at what he's done for us and said, I wish you did something else. If we're not honest before God, how can he minister in a way that we need to be lifted up from the pit? So David is honest, and he continues on. Skip over to Psalm 143, 
look at verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 143. Look at the words that he uses in these verses. Words like he's crushed. He's in darkness. He feels like he is dead. Again, his spirit faints in him. He feels overwhelmed and he's distressed. Does this sound like the same same shepherd boy who went up against Goliath and said, I'm going to kill this guy, take off his head and show the Philistines that there's no God but the God of Israel. And here he is, he's feeling crushed, distressed, overwhelmed. He feels like his spirit, spirit faints. And maybe the worst feeling of all, look back up to Psalm 143, verse 2. Maybe the worst feeling of all, as he says, enter not into judgment with your servant for no one living is righteous before you. He feels at the very edge of God's judgment. It's kind of a downer, isn't it? You're coming to church to be uplifted and to worship the Lord and we're reading all these, these downer of, of a verse. Well, does this describe anyone you know? Someone who's crushed, their spirit faints within them? Someone who's full of complaint and trouble? Someone who feels helpless, someone who feels like their soul is in prison. Does it sound like anyone you know? Does it, does it sound like maybe ourselves at times? David is a model for us to show that we need to confess before the Lord in all honesty how we're feeling. Because once we're open, once we open our heart, once we open our soul to the Lord, then he's able to bring ministry. He's able to bring Comfort. You know, there's a, a situation that we find ourselves in, in, in church world, where people have these kind of symptoms, these kind of, of feelings, and we don't really feel free to admit them. One of, the, uh, one of the recurring issues in society is people that are, uh, that are enduring fits of depression, whether mild depression or severe depression. But people have the same, uh, maybe a clinical description of what David was emotionally and poetically writing about in his Psalms. Feelings of worthlessness or inappropriate guilt. A, a diminished ability to make decisions. You just can't make up your mind. It seems like you can't even decide. Hamburgers or hot dogs? Oh, I can't decide. You know? Fatigue. You just can't get over this sense of being tired all the time. Either, either you, you can't sit still or you can't get up out of the chair to do something. Having insomnia, and being unable to sleep, or perhaps the other direction, sleeping too much. Significant increase or decrease in weight gain or appetite. And, and for some, at the end of this, recurring thoughts of death or, or even suicide. Well, it's, it's a descriptive way of the emotional words that David used to describe being crushed and having his soul in prison. And according to statistics over the last several years, in our country, at least 10% of the people at any one time have these kind of depressive, despondent feelings. And over the course of a a person's life, about 25% of people will have this to a severe extent at some time. The Center for Disease Control tracks these kind of, of stats And the states in our country with the three highest rates of depression are Alabama, Mississippi. Guess what state is third? West Virginia. Good guess. Now, I know as we talk about this, 
maybe some of us are thinking, yeah, well, that's those secular, atheistic, unbelieving people that don't have a, a church body around them. They don't believe in God's word. They're not getting help. They're not saved. So they haven't dealt with their sin. That's all those, those secular people. See, that's why we need to come to church so that these things don't happen to us. Well, Christianity Today did a survey of, uh, of a large range of people who, are, uh, who engage in spiritual activities. And this is from March of 2009. So even though it sounds like Christianity Today, it's really Christianity yesterday. But it's not so far behind that it's, that it's uh, irrelevant for us. Here's, here's what they write about this. Studies of religious groups from Orthodox Jews to Evangelical Christians reveal no evidence that the frequency of depression varies across religious groups or between those who attend religious services and those who do not. So in a typical congregation of 200 adults, it's about what we have here, isn't it? 50 attendees will experience depression at some point, and at least 30 are currently taking antidepressants. Now don't start doing this. Don't go looking around like, that's the person. Yeah, definitely, I think think they're on meds. That's That's not the point of this. It's to bring out the reality that whether you're an evangelical Christian or a secular atheist, we have the same problems of having depressive, despondent episodes. Well, this, this, I thought Christians had a, a vaccine against that. I thought that we're supposed to be, well, like as, the, as the hymn says, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now... I am happy all the day. I thought we're vaccinated against depressive thoughts. I thought we're vaccinated against being, having soul-crushing prison that we feel like we can't get out of. But it, it's not. We have the same situation. The difference is we have a way out that the unbelievers do not have. Without the gospel, there is no way to put these issues in perspective. Without the gospel, how can anyone deal with uncertainty and insignificance, powerlessness, loneliness and isolation, fear, distrust, and loss of hope? People that do not have God and do not have God's word to help them through this situation rely on destructive and even self-indulgent escapes to get away from this. Alcoholism or or sexual addictions, something that, that relieves a symptom for a short time, but ultimately leads to destruction. The only true way out is the solution that God provides, and that's through his word. So we, we, we all are going to have our time in the pits. Here's a, here's a secret, not so much of a secret. Missionaries have these kind of situations too. Missionaries spend their time in the pits. You want to know another secret? It's really not so much of a secret. Pastors do also. And it shouldn't be a surprise that the rest of us have that same situation. So this is a, a, a case where we all find ourselves down in the dumps and we have this, this tension of knowing that as Christians we should be joyful in Christ and yet feeling embarrassed that we're in the, the, case, the situation in the case that we are. So how do we get out of it? This is not just going to leave us in the pits. So now we start with the climb. How do we get out of the pits. Psalm 143. Turn to Psalm 143. The the change comes, starting in verse 6. Here's where we examine our focus. What is it that we're zeroing in on? 
Well, you look at verse 6, and I'll read from 6 through 12. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Verse 6 is central to the psalm. That provides a transition. Because now, if you look at his focus, remember the E has examined the focus, his focus changes from self to God. His concentration is now changing from complaining about his situation to resolution to do something about it. In Psalm 142, it was about what he's enduring. My, I'm crushed. My soul's in prison. There's no hope. No one cares for me. In Psalm 143, he begins to get out of the pit. He begins to climb out of the pit by changing his focus on who God is and what God is doing for him. The answer comes not from an outward change. In fact, his situation... For David's, the entirety of David's running from Saul, his situation did not change. So the outward situation, the circumstances were not different. But there was an inward change, a difference in what he was emphasizing in his life. So part of our problem lies in what we long for, what it is we desire. What is it that David wanted more than anything else? It's in verse 6. Look again at verse 6. What is it that David wanted more than anything else? I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. If you've ever been out in the desert and you see this, this like an endless horizon of dirt and sand and there's not been any moisture there for a while, you understand what a parched land looks like. And if you've ever walked through any really hot, dry environment, you know how, how desirous you are of just having one small sip of water. And that's what David says his soul feels before the Lord. That above everything else, no matter what else God can do for him, his soul wants to have that relationship with the Lord. That's what he values above all else. He'll give up the, the, the comforts of a palace. He'll give up or at least put off the time when he's king as long as he can have God. And that's what makes David such a role model for us. Not that he was perfect. In fact, if you, if you know anything about your, your, your uh, scriptures, uh, it, uh, uh, explanation of David's life, you know that David was far from perfect. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was a really bad father. Next, next week is Father's Day. Don't use David as a model for fathers at the end of the day. So David had a lot of flaws in his life. He did a lot of things wrong. And in many ways, he is not a role model for us in some of the aspects in which he lived his life. But one key way in which he is a model for us is that he desired God above everything else. His soul thirsted for God. 
once he changes his focus from himself to the Lord, then he, become, he starts to move out of the pit. Those verses 8 through 12, look at how he changes his prayer. Look at how he changes his communication. Our attitudes and our prayers are linked. Let me hear of your steadfast love. He says, let me hear of it in the morning. At the very beginning of the day, he focuses on what God's love means to him. Make me to know the way. So David wanted God to show him the way out. So many of us have our own plans. But David says, make me to know the way in which I should go. Deliver me from my enemies. He knows that it's going to come from God and not his own abilities. Teach me to do your will. He says in verse 10, for you are my God. Some of us want to know God's will, but we really don't want to do it. Maybe that's why God doesn't reveal what he wants us to do. But David says, teach me to do your will. Teach me the right way to live my life. Not so that I can prosper, but teach me the right way to live my life because you are my God and I want to honor you with it. He says to let the Holy Spirit lead me. He says to preserve, which means to restore or bring back to life. Restore me for your name's sake. Look at the difference in prayers that he has in Psalm 143 compared to 142. Psalm 142, he's complaining to the Lord. That's fine, be honest. Psalm 143, he says, here's how I get out of it. Lord, teach me about yourself. Teach me about your way. Teach me about your will. Let the Holy Spirit lead me. So he's dependent upon God. Not to change his circumstances. They may never change. And for those of us that are in the pits... And saying, if only I had more money, if only I had better health, if only I had a different spouse, if only I had different circumstances, if I had a better job, if I had whatever. If those circumstances change, then I'll be able to get out of this, this blue funk that I'm in. But what David is saying, through an, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that it's not our circumstances that need to change, but it's our prayer that needs to change. And we start looking for God to bring us a sense of fulfillment in our relationship with Him. So we need to, to examine our focus. Moving over to Psalm 144. Just a few, just the opening verses of that psalm. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge who subdues my people under me. Look at the words that now David focuses on. It's not, it's not where David lacks something, but the words that he uses. My steadfast love. He's talking of God. My steadfast love. My fortress. My stronghold. My deliverer. My shield. And my refuge. Does, does David know something about his God? It seems like David knows, knows who the Lord is. And as he's considering his situation and as he's, uh, as he's climbing out of the pit, he's able to do that by focusing on his God, not so much his deficiencies and his circumstances. So now we arrive at the mountaintop. We've been in the pit, climbing out. 
and, and the pit is a place where, where we are honest before God and, and tell Him what we're feeling. We begin to climb as we examine what our focus is. If our focus is on ourselves and our circumstances, we'll be depressed a lot because life is difficult. Life is hard. And all of us can have a, a story of how it would be easier for us to just not even get out of our house because what waits for us outside the door is too difficult to confront. We have sicknesses, we have financial difficulties, we have one issue after another. You, you, you turn on the news, read the headlines, uh, look on the internet, and there's all reasons to be depressed. I don't even want to, uh, we can... We can just shut down our computers and not even read what's going on in the world to try and, and, and hide from what's going on because it's so difficult at times, isn't it? But we climb out by changing our focus, by examining our focus. And now that we're on the mountaintop, we see a completely different set of, uh, a, a completely different view of life. Uh, the life of someone who now has changed to the focus of uh, God in their life and not on what's happening to them. Look at the opening verses of Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. You compare those verses to how David started in Psalm 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. I plead for mercy. I pour out my complaint. In Psalm 142, he's pouring out his complaint. Psalm 145, he says, I bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. So we list God's achievements. What has he done for us? How has God made a difference in our life? So you compare those verses and you see what he says later on in verses 5, 6, and 7. Not only does his prayer change, but his activities in the Lord change also. Verse 5, he says, I will meditate on God's majesty and works. On, your glory, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Verse 6, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. So he speaks or declares God's works and his greatness. Verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So he remembers God's goodness. He sings of his righteousness. If we list God's achievements, what God has done on our behalf, we start to see how truly blessed we are. It's, it, it, this is not a, a profound statement. When we focus on what we don't have, we're miserable. When we focus on what God has given us, it raises us up. And when we list what God has done on our behalf and put it into practice to list back to God what he has done for us, it helps to bring us out of the pit, climb up to the mountaintop, and declare his praises to a lost and dying world. But that means we actually have to do something. See, David could have said, God, take care of all these things for me. Just let me get up one morning, open my eyes, and see everything fixed. But what he's doing in Psalm 145 is saying, in order to, to get out of, this, out of this pit, I need to meditate on what God has done. I need to tell others the works of the Lord. I need to remember constantly his goodness. And I need to remember to sing of his righteousness. We, we, we do that in church, don't we? And at the, uh, on our closing hymn, we'll have a chance to practice that, to sing of what God has done on our behalf. And I don't, it, it may sound strange for you to just sing when you're not in church or when someone's not leading it, but the Lord 
says through his word that this is a way of focusing on what he has done on our behalf to, to open up the hymnal and to, and to sing or if you're not really good at singing at least go through the songs go through the hymns of what God has done on our behalf and then in verses 8 through 21 we need to practice intentional praise tell God what he's done for us Tell others what God has done for us. We could practice this a little bit. Look at verse 8. The, uh, the last half of Psalm 145 is great for just uh, looking at what the Lord has done for his people. Though several times in this, in this psalm, we see that the Lord is something. In verse 8, help me with this. The Lord is what? Gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. Skip down to verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. I know it seems sometimes that God is far away. It seems sometimes that God has abandoned us, that his ear is closed, that he's far from us. But that's where we come back to the truth of Scripture and know that what we feel at the moment in our relationship with God may not be the truth of what Scripture declares. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, though it may not feel that way. The Lord hears the cry of those that call out to Him. And that's why intentional to practice intentional praise brings these truths to our remembrance. And really... Folks, it comes down to this. Do we believe the words of Scripture or not? And if we believe that Scripture is telling us what's true about God, what's true of our relationship with Him, then we can appropriate, we can hold on to those truths. If Scripture is optional, if we say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I just can't believe it, how are we going to find help and hope to get out of the pit? The scriptures, the, this uh, passage declares several things about what the Lord does. He says that the Lord, in verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling, raises up all who are bowed down. In verse 15, the eyes of all look to you, you give them food in due season. Verse 16, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Verse 19, the Lord fu- fulfills the desire of those who fear him. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. No no delusion. God loves everyone, but at the end of our lives, if we haven't called out to the Lord for salvation, we know what the end is going to be. Therefore I will, look at verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So we start from the pits. We're honest before the Lord in how we feel. We climb out by changing our focus. We list the achievements that God has done on our behalf and we practice intentional praise to, to rise up out of our circumstances. And truly, if God's word is true, then these uh, these 
call them steps, call them uh, helps to, to get out of the pit. This will enable us to start moving forward and, and, and experiencing that abundant life that Jesus promised us. So in conclusion, you can't control what happens to you. None of us can control that. Maybe some of us can change our diet and our, and our health habits a little bit and maybe make our, our bodies feel a little better from, from day to day. But we're really not in control, are we? The Lord is sovereign. We're not in control. We can't control what happens to us. But certainly, with God, we can control our focus. There's always going to be tests and trials and tribulations and all these other T words. There's going to be something that's going to bother us and get us down. But we can control what we focus on. From time to time, all of us are going to slip into the pit. Some of, us, some of us dive into it. We like living there. But for some of us, we're going to slip into it. So something that happens, we don't, we don't realize it. And all of a sudden, our wife, our husband, our friend, our pastor, somebody says, you know, you've been, you've been looking a little bit down these days. Are you okay? And then we, we reflect and say, you know, I, I guess I, I haven't been myself. So we're going to, to slip into the pit, but we do not need to dwell there. That is a, 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 a choice that we make. An act of praise is medicine for the soul. So to get help out of the pit, from Psalm 142 to 145, the H is what? Be honest about our feelings. What is the E? Examine our focus. What is the L? You didn't know there was a quiz, did you? List God's achievements on, our, achievements on our behalf. And what's the P? Practice intentional praise. This is not a, this is, this is not a, a magic wand. You can wave this and say, do this and you're going to be okay. Do this and it moves us in the right direction. Do this and we'll be better off than we were before. And allow God, God's spirit, God's word to minister to us, to bring forth a people that are abundant in praise and abundant in joy for what God has done for us in our relationship with him.